Insomnia is a thriller starring Al Pacino and Robin Williams about a veteran detective investigating a murder in Alaska. Let's take an in-depth look at what is arguably Christopher Nolan's most overlooked film. Welcome everyone to The Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. It's all about the small stuff. That's the line you went with. There was a, there was a, I think I had an F-bomb in it, admittedly. Yeah. But there was a line about you're as mysterious to me as a block toilet is to an effing plumber, which I thought was was the quote of the movie. (laughs) It was a whole monologue, but you're right. The best line out of it it dropped some serious F-bombs, so. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is a movie podcast, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the show. We are working through the films of Christopher Nolan after a slight uh tangent into animated turtles movies tiny little detour into something pretty yes. much the same all things considered <laughs> but we're back now for the other half of nolan season and we're here to talk about insomnia uh, obviously we had to do oppenheimer when it was new um and us from the future i'm sure we liked it maybe i don't know i thought i thought it was incredible Possibly. Or awful. <laughs> one of them. But Insomnia was Nolan's third movie, uh, his second kind of bigger film at, after Memento, uh, the mm-hmm. one that he did right before Batman Begins. So it's kind of this notable stepping stone film where, you know, he went from, yeah, sure, we know who Guy Pearce is and some other notable actors in, in Memento, mm-hmm. but he then did a film with Al Pacino, you know, the guy from, like, The Godfather. So it does feel like he kind of went up a, a rung on the ladder, as it were. Yeah, for me, this one felt like the proving grounds. Like, Memento was his big get-his-foot-in-the-door thing, and this one's like, all right, but can you, like, do just a normal movie without the gimmicks? <laughs> Which is funny, because I actually think that's one of the things that I was thinking about this, is that this is definitely, with the exception of maybe his Batman movies, because they're Batman movies, mm-hmm. this is his most normal film. Yes. Uh, you know, it's it's and it is a remake of uh, I want to say Swedish, maybe Norwegian, it's a Scandinavian w- film. Was this one not in Sweden? I, I watched the Swedish one. <laughs> very funny. Oh no! Yes, yes, very funny. You watched the one with Selen Skarsgård. Yes, I did. Um, no, so that, this is this is a remake. It's a thriller. It's uh, you know, there's a murder, and Al Pacino plays this cop who goes from LA to Alaska to help out with the case. But the story is really about kind of his ongoing personal stuff that's uh, kind mm. of building up and sort of teased throughout the film. Um, Robin Williams notably plays the killer. That's not a spoiler. You know, he is introduced basically as the killer in this. I'm glad that's not a spoiler because I was going to have a real hard time talking around it. <laughs> no, I mean, even when it was being marketed, it was like, hey, Robin Williams is playing a bad guy. You know, that was mm. very much part of the the thing. Um, so, and yeah, this was notable. He did Destiny, and I think One Hour Photo was maybe a, a couple of years the, after. Same, no, same year, Same actually. year, okay. Yep. So he, he really wanted to do something different. And it was kind of like, it was propped up a long time as like, hey, sometimes these comedic actors are really good at doing dramatic stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I've heard from various directors and stuff over the years that part of the reason for that is because comedy is actually the harder of the two. So whenever oh, a yeah. comedian tries to do this, they end up being often very good at it and that's kind of uh, what we have here so yeah no i mean i've starred in 
numerous like drama sort of short films and student films and stuff like that. But as you can tell by however many episodes we've done of this, no funniness is to be found. No comedy exists here. <laughs> yeah, I... So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll believe it there, basically. But it's, you know, Hilary Swank's in there as well. Um, Which, is it weird to me that because Hilary Swank is in this, like, out of everything in the movie, including Robin Williams, Hilary Swank's existence is the thing that dates it the most for me? <laughs> Robin Williams is literally dead. I know. And that's what was so strange. Like, Robin Williams popped up. I'm like, oh, this movie could take place any place in like 30 years. But Hilary Swank shows up and I'm like, this is either late 90s or early 2000s. Very narrow bar there. She's done stuff since then, surely? Surely, but name something. I prove my point. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to think of something that Hilary Swank's done in the last 10 years. And it's, it's a struggle. It, it is a struggle. Hold mm-hmm. on. All right. I'm not cheating, but hold on. All right. <laughs> any, anything post-2010, I'll give you. Okay, I am looking, but I'm seeing if there's anything I actually recognize from this time period. Not for me. Uh... Not counting a voice in BoJack Horseman. That doesn't count. Because I don't think I would have recognized I'm her. using this. She's in a TV show called Alaska Daily, like, right now. Yeah, there you go. Which... Maybe it's just picking up her character's arc from here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, the last movie here that I think I recognize is... I've never seen, but I vaguely remember The Reaping existing from 2007. Okay. I, re- I remember P.S. I Love You coming out just because I always thought it was a dumb title. Um... That's all I got. But either way... That's, do you understand my point, though? I, I, and that, yeah, that's what I, dates I, the movie? I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah, th- so this is a murder... It's not even a murder mystery, again. Like, the, the murder, like, case is not the... It's, it's a character story, right? That just mm-hmm. happens to revolve around the investigation of a murder. And yeah. that's what it is. Uh, and it's set in Alaska uh, during the, the summer... Well, I assume it's the summer, uh, mm-hmm. where it's daylight the entire time. You know, they go months without any night. Um, and they point out in the winter, it's the opposite, where they have nighttime for like, four That's months. when the vampires come out. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, like, and it deals with, obviously it's called insomnia. The The lead character, the Pacino plays Will Dormer. He has trouble sleeping when he's in Alaska and there's no darkness. That's, you mm-hmm. know, that's the kind of the thematic thing. But obviously there's more to it. We'll get into it. We'll start spoiler free as we always do. And mm-hmm. we'll, uh, we'll get into stuff. So, yeah. So much like Memento, this was one that I went back and watched after Batman Begins in 2005. Mm. So that is definitely... I, I can pinpoint almost exactly within a couple months, uh, okay. you know, when I saw it. Uh, so um, I assume you'd seen this before? So I definitely at some point had it on, but I don't think I was really paying that much attention to it at the time because pretty much everything in this movie seemed fresh. Okay. So, I take that for what you will. I'd it it would it, I'd had the same situation as you, except it wasn't for Batman Begins. It was for Dark Knight, where I went mm. back and watched through a bunch of Nolan's stuff, and this one was on the list, but I just don't remember any of it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, with that said, though, there's mm. one question that we always start off with: is how did you feel about Insomnia? So, I liked it in terms of it was a very 
well done story. It was a decently good looking movie. But I think in terms of Nolan movie, this one stands out as the black sheep even more than something like Following, where this one feels so just like every other movie. Like there's nothing, there's not that little extra special pop to it of him playing with the format or getting weird with any of the different like elements in it. It just feels, it feels like a dry run for can we trust you with the keys to Batman? And in that regard, it it's fine. It works. It's a decently made movie. It just doesn't have that extra little Nolan spark, I guess is the issue I'm having here. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely his most normal movie. It's definitely one where, like, even the fact that it's got a source material... I mean, not, not that he's not necessarily adapted other things, but you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Even the fact that it's, like, a, a effectively a remake of another movie right. certainly paints it in a different light than almost everything else that he is he has done with maybe the exception of dunkirk because that's based on like a real event true well we'll see with oppenheimer as well yes are we di- same are, thing. we did see with oppenheimer we did and it was great awful <laughs> um but no i i think i like the movie a lot and i think it's really it it, it does everything it's setting out to do very mm-hmm. well and i do love how it looks i like the score I like the mm-hmm. use of the Alaskan, you know, vistas and all that stuff. It, it looked very similar. Like the opening shots of this movie are just tons of landscape shots. And I feel like that's the point where he's like, I'm going to put something in Batman here. When I get my hands on that series, it's going <laughs> to look just like this. Like, and I think the performances from Pacino and Williams are both very good. I think mm-hmm. the core arc of the story um has has a reasonable bit of heart to it because i've seen the original insomnia as well and i remember okay. when i saw that and i saw that second i saw that later um i remembered thinking when i watched that that it was a lot colder not just like literally <laughs> like you know it was a cold climate but it was yeah. a bit colder and that it was less you know there's a redemptive quality to this film which i think mm. isn't in that original film and Maybe if I'd saw the original film first, I'd feel like, oh, this softened it rather than that one feels colder. Mm. But I, I do think I prefer this one, perhaps because of that. So, okay. you know, I, I I like it a lot. I, I think it's overlooked, um, even though watching it now is very clear. It's, the, it's Nolan doing a more typical Hollywood movie, but I do think it is a very good example of all the things that it's doing. And has yes, has enough uh, like unique elements to the character and the the play between the hero and the villain and like what it's about. I think there's enough mm-hmm. layers there that there's a lot enough going on that it, it never feels like it is just a shallow Hollywood thriller. It feels more than that, but it never feels like a Christopher Nolan right. idea. You know, it never feels like there that. Was- there was the the only major criticism I can lob against it in terms of it's not Nolan, just ignoring that. I think that the main driving force of this movie, as we come to find out, and is basically the pitch of the movie, is that Al Pacino is trying to solve this crime, but he cannot get to sleep. He is forced awake for like the entire time he's doing this. I don't think the movie did a really good job of selling the tiredness to the audience i think it could have been done more through the camera lens rather than through the acting there was only one point towards the very end of this film where he just focuses in a trance on some windshield wipers 
And that's the only time I feel like the audience is kind of let in mm. on just how tired he is. I think the movie would have been a lot better if we had spent the entire time just like maybe slowly getting things of missed time or hallucinations or anything like that, where it is just little things that grow worse and worse as he stays up longer and longer. Yeah. That said, though, I did buy from the performance that Pacino was very tired, oh, yeah. especially in the back, like third of the movie. Like he looks yeah. like a wreck. <laughs> at the at the end of the movie, they they at, at one point they go out to a bar for drinks, and I have never seen a man look just as <laughs> dead as Pacino does in that shot. Oh yeah, absolutely. So no, it's uh like I think all that stuff is is really solid. Mm. Um, yeah, I you know I I think. There's character dynamics here, like there's like what Hilary Swank's character, who's the the young sort of uh, passion coming the rookie, the rookie cop, but who's passioned and who wants to do good and is has got the the heart of gold effectively, and like how, how she fits into the themes of the story is actually quite good. I think I think you know when you actually start talking about the the intricacies of that and how she relates to Pacino's character, and then there's mm-hmm. obviously a lot of parallels that the movie has between Pacino and Robin Williams, even though they're on you know the opposite sides. Like and some of them are some of them are almost like forced by Williams's character, but the which aren't really real. And then there's some that are tr- that are true, that are there, that mm. are more subtle and there for the audience to to discover and find out. So right. you know, I, I think I do, all that's quite good. Yeah, I the one thing that popped in my mind at one point is um The Departed. Just mm. because it is the it, this movie pretty early on has the characters meet up it isn't with most thrillers it's the sort of thing of the one comparison that came to mind was seven where it's you know the back end of the movie and then we get revealed oh here is the killer but because robin williams is so prominently featured it's earlier on than i think anyone in the audience expects it to be i don't think it's i don't think it's as early as you think it is uh, no, it's like halfway yeah, through the movie. Yeah, it's a good it's almost an hour out of the movie actually before but you it's, see him. In terms in terms of the pacing of the plot, it doesn't happen where you think it would. It happens mm, okay. like before that point. And once we get to that part where they are able to start discussing things and getting to know like how each other ticks, that's where I started getting these departed vibes where it's two different sides of the law, but each person has their own special like not special, their own thing that is shared between them. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, honestly, it's, it's an interesting one to dissect because it is clearly this, like, more conventional movie, but with a director mm-hmm. who's obviously got talent beyond the typical director you get for this type of film. It would be like if David Lynch showed up for Expendables 4. It'd be like, what in the hell is he even going to do here? Um... You could say it's like David Lynch doing Dune if you really want to do an accurate, true, you know, this true. really happened example. <laughs> yeah. I still consider it to be more Lynchian than it needed to be, but yeah. But not as Lynchian as it should have been. True. Very true. Uh, that, <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I, I think that's, I think that's what makes this interesting is that I think Nolan's sensibilities, like I understand why they, they hired him for this, because I do think mm-hmm. a lot of what he does translates well into this type of movie, even if it's not got the more unique elements that we typically think of when it comes to Christopher Nolan. Um, but, you know, it's funny that at this point in his career, like, following was this super, super indie, like, thing that no one had seen. Memento yeah. was a hit, but 
this and then Batman Begins, and obviously Batman, just because it's a Batman movie, is ultimately more conventional. Yeah, it plays with some timeline stuff a little bit, but it's not. There's nothing mm-hmm. compared to like his more experimental films. It's notable that yeah. after this and Batman Begins, he wanted to do Prestige before he went back to Batman, which is probably the you know, one of the most. It's, it's like he had all this built up, pent up. Like I need to play with time and structure. I, I... I don't know for sure, but I feel like that's the sort of thing where he went in and pitched Inception, and they're like, nah, that's too weird. And then he was like, okay, I'll tone it back a little bit. <laughs> and then we got prestige out of it. But then he did Dark Knight, and it was like, okay, you can make whatever you want, Chris. Go, exactly. Go, go make Inception. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go find love out in space. <laughs> so, no, I I, I think I think it's a, a really tight, movie and i think it gets overlooked probably more than it deserves to be overlooked like i think it gets talked about only as oh it's one of nolan's early films before he kind of hit it super big and it's good that it has that because it means people do discover it and people find it because it's him and because it's tied to him but Mm -hmm. it is almost a shame that it's never kind of just appreciated for its own merits and you know in the same way that a memento is where it's like, yeah, it's an Nolan film, but it's just it's worth seeing Memento because it's Memento, it's great. Right. I think it's because it is lacking that sort of gimmick to it. It doesn't have that little extra something that is selling it. Like, the only thing I could theoretically say is, okay, this movie is set and it's always daytime. That is the gimmick, quote unquote, of the movie. But in terms of the plot, it, in the end, it really doesn't matter that it's always daytime here. It just so happens to be always daytime, and it almost instigates the plot a little bit, but by the end, it's well, just a it, non-factor. It's not a non-factor. I think that's a bit dismissive. I think it's it's more thematic than it is a plot point. It's not... Oh, yeah. That's it's not something that it's using to, to drive anything, really, other than just being kind of symbolic, and it's kind of... You know, the idea that, you know, all the dirty truth comes out in the harsh light of day. Like, he can't hide from it. Mm-hmm. He can't hide in the darkness from any of the truths that he's feeling guilty about, right. you know? Like, that's... Mm-hmm. It's all thematic. It's all kind of that. It does, you know, there's a, there's a nice little joke early on in the film, though, where he's like, let's go to the school and question the boyfriend. And like, <laughs> okay, sounds good. He's like, oh, let's go now. And they're like, it's 10 o'clock. He's like, yeah, great. He's like, at night. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, huh, Okay uh all right not used to that one yet well it's just i think what's really neat about that is obviously he's this detective who like notices a lot of details and he's like seeing things and he's he's bringing Mm -hmm. up all these good questions but it's kind of funny that he misses this big the the big picture of like it's still it's it's actually nighttime you just don't realize it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i appreciate that yeah no it was it was and that was really the first time that it's mentioned at all. We don't see the time as he's flying in. We don't see the time as he's going through a couple, like, I think he goes to the morgue first yeah, to look at yeah. the body. So all of that time, it's just a normal work day for him. And then all of a sudden, uh, sir, it's, it's going on midnight. <laughs> we might want to call it. And I think it's also a little disorientating to the viewer because they don't actually specify the time that much in the movie. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's actually hard to tell or like, you're not really aware of what time it is at any given point. Like sometimes the reference is right. the morning or whatever, cause it's breakfast or, but there are lots of times where you sort of like take a minute to realize, Oh, this is probably the middle of the night, even though mm-hmm. no one's ever saying and, that. And I do think that that's something that almost works to the movie's detriment is that we occasionally get a check in of how many full days it's been. And we do have sequences of him trying to sleep in his hotel room where it's he's just getting more and more desperate to get just a little bit of shut eye. 
but I don't think that it ever really sells this guy has been awake for this long. It never quite hits that hard. We see it through the acting, but in terms of the actual plot and what characters are saying, it just is kind of, it's been a few days. It's always just been a few days. I I feel like if it had said, like, you have gone five full days without sleep at any point here, I would have been like, damn, that is a really long time. But instead, it's just passed off every once in a while of like, oh, yeah, you got here six days ago. And it's like, oh, OK, that's been a while. But it's never given with that punch of you've been awake for that long. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it can't. I don't. Robin Williams does bring it up a couple times, and it, that mm-hmm. kind of emphasizes that. I think that the whole idea of the it's always daytime, and you kind of lose track of how much time has passed. I think the purpose of that to play the devil's advocate, even though I'm not necessarily disagreeing with what you just said, right. is that it is all supposed to sort of like for him, it's all kind of blurring together, like because he is so tired, like the passage right. of time is becoming kind of meaningless, and it all is all just kind of a blur. And I think that's kind of what it's going for is the, like, you know, when Robin Williams points out later in the film, like, hey, if you get to midnight on day six, you're, you're, you've beat my record. Like, you right. know, he, he says that at one point. And I think, like, I think that's a surprise to the characters as it is to the audience that, oh, wait, it's been, like, I'm almost at that long. Like, that's on, like, and I'm someone who often, like, has a terrible sleeping schedule. I'm someone who often has pulled an all-nighter and I, you know, I've been up for maybe like 30 plus hours straight, mm-hmm. right? And when you get to that point, like, I know how that feels. So imagining that stretched out to day six is right. astronomical. Like, I feel horrible at that amount of time. I you know it's not something I try and do that much. Occasionally, I still get myself into these like annoying things where I've got like, something I need to do at a certain time and I've not yeah. been able to get to sleep and I just need to stay up. And then, you know, I'll feel a bit shit, but, and that'll be it, and I'll, whatever. But this mm-hmm. is, like, try to imagine, this This is, like, Nancy and Nightmare on Elm Street by the time we get to the end of the movie. It's been, like, a week yeah. without sleep. And I think that's that's the thing. Like, even going back to Nightmare on Elm Street, you get this feeling just in how the story is told, how it is shot, of how long it's been. But this one, it's only through dialogue and Al Pacino's acting that I really feel that he's tired. I kind of wish that the way that the movie was shot or the way that like scenes are structured also represented that level of insomnia. I feel the character is tired, but I don't feel that that's put onto the audience at all. And that's my only real criticism in terms of the, like if, if the fact that he's tired is such a major plot point in this movie, it is kind of the central focus here is that insomnia I, I think that the audience should have been more subjected to that than they were of questioning. Like, I mean, it is at the beginning of the movie, a murder mystery, more or less. He's trying to gather facts. He's trying to outwit his opponent here. But every time we get a fact, every time we get any sort of new evidence, it's never questioned. It's never questioned. Is this real? Did this actually happen? And I think that it's perfectly right up nolan's alley to have that it's as as we said numerous times in the memento review questioning which evidence is real because of a memory thing your memory starts going when you're tired your perception starts going when you're tired and i think that this movie would have been helped incredibly by that it's interesting because like that does change it so much though and i have to question like you know why did this why was the choice made 
to do it this way, you know, to, to mm. not like try and play tricks in the audience, to not try and pass off the insomnia to them. Because the movie's much more concerned about why you can't sleep than it is about the effects right. of not sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. And I do like that part of it a lot. So I, I guess, like, on some level, Nolan has made a choice that the audience is more like one of... is, is You know, it's more... We're more like Hilary Swank or Mara Tierney who works at the hotel. Like, we, mm-hmm. we're these outsiders witnessing this man as opposed to being in his shoes. Um, and yeah. I would say that maybe the point of that is that part of this movie is that at a certain point he wants like honest opinion on his character he he wants to be judged i won't go into it too much mm-hmm. and i do wonder if that's part of the idea is that this is not meant to be relatable this is meant to be about us judging him as a person and therefore right. he is keeping us at that sort of third you know we're in the third person to him rather than being first person pov kind of style mm-hmm. And I agree with that. And I think that that's a valid way to go through it. My only critique in that is that the kind of big moment where he reveals why he wants to be judged and like goes through Mm -hmm. all that, it's kept a mystery for the entire movie. We know it's there. We know that something is there on whether or not he needs to be judged, but it's left up to the, like it's completely uh, not even revealed to the audience until way 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 late in the movie so i think you're still playing with that idea of well is this true is this not true it's just done through dialogue rather than through the way the movie feels uh what was being played is true or not true exactly i mean i can't really get into it oh, okay, sure. that much, but but the the fact of in the very beginning of the movie he says he's being uh investigated by internal affairs well I... and the the question is, but I, I, this what, is what, why? Well, yeah, but this is why I'm asked. I said that though. Is that I don't necessarily mm. agree that the movies try to make you think did this or did this not happen. I think it's pretty clear from early on that at least something did happen. Like there's clearly something to this. It's not just see, see for me that I didn't get that. I got it. He's the way that in the opening scenes he was talking to his partner, who we haven't even mentioned yet. His Hap. partner is Hap, played by Martin Donovan. Um. He's talking to Hap and he's basically saying, like, the internal affairs, they like they have a knack for messing stuff up. And his partner comes back and is like, you're a good cop, though. You don't have to worry about that. And Al Pacino says, yeah, I am a good cop. Like, everything points to the fact of nothing is really there. But we still keep on bringing up over and over again that internal affairs is investigating him. But we never get the reason why until the very end. I don't think that's a problem, though. I think the fact that he is constantly thinking about it tells you there's something there and it, that it's coming. Like, you know, the whole idea of following him and, okay. you know, I, I, I think that's a completely fair way to, like, tee it up and then leave it for later. And mm-hmm. as it's playing out, I, I don't think we need to know exactly the specifics. Um, and I think that's why when it comes to a point later on when he gets to, like, the almost the relief of being able to just confess it you know because like mm-hmm. he, he makes a choice to just talk about it and it feels like a big character moment for him to talk about it and i think yeah, that's the point it, it feels like he's finally uh, like it's almost like he may be able to finally go to sleep if, if he does this but even then one of the few things that they do in this movie that i think should have been expanded upon is that there's little half second shots to things that are seemingly going through his mind as he's getting more and more tired and at the very beginning of the movie, we see 
what turns out to be glimpses of this confession he makes. And it's very tiny shots. You can't even tell what's going on, but it is glimpses of this. I think that that's the sort of thing that it could have been expanded upon. It could have been if we played up this mystery even more through how the movie was shot, how it was structured. Instead, what we got was this beginning part where he says he's a totally good cop. And then he is basically a good cop the entire time throughout the movie, save for one event, which I think is a spoiler. So I can't quite get into that yet, but he's, he's a good cop pretty much throughout the movie. And then it's only at the very end. Do we get this shift over to, Oh, here's what that event was. That is, it seems like it's trying to make you refocus on everything he did up to this point. But I just, I didn't get that, I guess. Yeah, I don't think it's... Maybe I'm just getting a completely different reading of this movie because I know that it's Nolan and I was kind of just waiting for that other shoe to drop the whole time. No, I I was just waiting for that, like, oh, here's the thing that recontextualizes everything. No, yeah, I think you are bringing that into this and I don't, I don't, I think you're being a little unfair with how it handles Mm -hmm. its key character story by, like, expecting more from Nolan. No, that's fair. As a po- that's fair. Cause I, I think, cause I think this is the part that I, I, I think is, is almost ironclad to be honest throughout the movie okay. is like setting up of who he is, what he might have done in the past and like how he's feeling about that and how that ties into everything that's going on in the present day case. Like that's, to mm-hmm. me, that's the, the spine of the movie. That's what makes it all work. That's what makes it all, uh, all okay. click. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't feel a shift later on because I felt like it was a natural, you know, this, this is obviously what it was always going to build to, was yeah. was kind of this, kind, you know, moment. So, I don't know. I, I didn't feel that that disjointedness with that in particular. I think, you know, where, where it maybe, you know, it, it, it's such a weird thing to come to a movie and say, oh, it's, it's more normal and therefore, like, it... Because this is not my least favourite Nolan film. In fact, it's not even my second least favourite Nolan film, I don't yeah. think. Um, so, I still really quite like it, even though it definitely is a more conventional movie by Nolan's mm. typical status. And, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. It just seemed to me like there was some stuff that was set up that didn't get as much of a payoff as I feel could it could have is my I guess my main complaint there like the whole thing I was saying with him being tired it feels like they set up a really interesting way to show that he was tired with these tiny little flashes of things in his mind but then we never quite got that to the extent that I think it should have gone to yeah I mean I think that's a separate thing from what you were talking about before uh with, oh, yeah. with, with his backstory and stuff I, yeah I, I think i think ultimately it's very hard to sort of get, give it any kind of objective like how much is correct like is it at a certain point you're doing a very different movie where you're wanting the, oh yeah because because the way you were talking it was like you want the audience to constantly question like what we're seeing is true you know is, is this mm-hmm. unreliable because he's tired but clearly that's just was that was never the intention because i think right. if nolan wanted to do that i think he would have done a lot better than right. than what is here on that particular it's through memento he's proven he knows how to yeah. get into that mindset so and maybe that's yeah. why maybe he didn't want to just do that again because he just done done memento he wanted to oh, yeah. do something a little bit different which is why i think this is less of a 
Well, you know, like I say, more of a, like a third person viewpoint to the character mm. than it is uh, that first person thing. But yeah, it, it's you know, it, it like it's what it's. I feel like at a certain point though, you you kind of start criticizing a movie for what it's not, but it's not. But right. there's nothing wrong with what it actually does. So it feels a little weird to me to be like, oh, but it's not these other things. So therefore, yeah. No, as as soon as as soon as I brought up the thing of maybe I'm just bringing in my expectations of Nolan along with it, I'm I'm willing to concede the point. Like, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'm doing here, and it's it is an issue to be a like the lowest or most regular movie because i know you say it's not your least favorite but it's the most regular movie in a outstanding and mm. very messing with the format director <laughs> and i know everyone's wondering what is the least favorite movie don't worry we've got dunkirk to come <laughs> uh <laughs> i haven't seen it so we'll see how low it rates for me joe you know is so funny is that people i've heard this complaint about inception about uh his batman films that he like no one's too cold a, a storyteller where you don't feel mm-hmm. the heart of the characters and i've always disagreed with that heavily like, i always feel like no there is a heart to all these characters I, I i see the arcs i i feel connected to them um in this case it's a story of this guy who's maybe done something bad and there's a redemption kind of angle uh, mm-hmm. by the end but to me, Dunkirk's the one where I felt nothing for anyone. That's the one that felt cold yeah. to me. And people will probably think I'm crazy for saying that because it's based on a real event where lots of people <laughs> were dying. But that's not enough. You have to actually give me characters. But, I mean, that's, that's something to talk about when we get to Dunkirk, which I've only seen oh, the yeah, once. we'll get there. But, you know... We'll, we'll... That's uh, two weeks away, Yeah, I two weeks away, yeah. So, right. whereas, you know, I think this does have that core, like, character arc that, that makes mm-hmm. it work, that makes it goes like you understand why he's doing what he's doing or at least you've got enough to sort of speculate why he's doing what he's doing then it sort of comes into shape as it as it goes mm-hmm. um i think that's true I, for no, all of his other films to to, to, to oh, and, yeah. in different ways as well because memento obviously is a very you know distinct very experimental movie and how it actually progresses mm-hmm. the character story but it does have that thing where there is an arc you do find out things and yeah yeah i mean i think that I agree. I think that the the characters are written in a way that they do have this heart to them. You you understand their motives, their goals, what who they are as people. But I think even if this movie failed on that front, Al Pacino and Robin Williams were gonna bring it. Like <laughs> yeah. they they had they were great in their roles here. Yeah, now they're both really good, uh, obviously uh mm. given the movie a lot of weight i think the cinematography and because it's got all these interesting locales with the you know like the the, the foggy like river bank or whatever it is yeah. and stuff like that like there's a lot of good visuals in the movie um and then on top of that you've got a supporting cast that are, that are pretty solid you know mm-hmm. hillary swanks perfectly fine there's uh-huh. there's an entire I want to say C or D list of like cops that we only kind yeah. of barely know the whole time, but they're good. They're fine. Save for the one guy who makes a really weird joke at the end, but he's the only one I have a criticism. The, the one who likes blowjobs. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, it's, I mean, if we're just getting to that point out of nowhere, he just says like, Hey, who is two thumbs and likes blowjobs? This guy. And they just left it in the movie. <laughs> I think it's showing that this small Alaskan town 
uh, is, you know, this is a joke from 20 years ago that he thinks is funny. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, humor must move slower up there, because dear lord, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I think what's good about the ensemble cast of, like, locals is that mm-hmm. they they do feel like a sort of unit, whereas, you know, Pacino is this newcomer. He's the outsider who comes in, mm-hmm. and he feels different to the rest of them. So it nails that feeling quite well. Oh yeah. Um, also, one of the points that the movie kind of brings up a couple times is that there's like two types of people in Alaska. There's the people who were born there, and there's the people who moved there to like escape from whatever their life was before. But yeah. you know, not, not, it doesn't even mean anything dramatic necessarily. Obviously, it could be someone on the run for murder, but it could also just be ah, life sucked, and they came here to like you know to keep to themselves, right? Um, yeah. And I think you even see that distinction between some of the locals, um, and then like you know the cops who just feel that they've all just grown up here and they're right you know, except the one guy who, who knew pacino beforehand who obviously transferred mm. here at some point uh so no um the only other people i would want to point out here are um there are two teenage actors oh what are, yeah, this... yeah one of them is uh, very well known actually uh, Catherine isabel uh is mm-hmm. a scream queen of sorts because she was in ginger snap she went on to be in freddy v's jason uh, and even later on, she did stuff like American Mary, and she was in the Hannibal TV show for a bit. So uh, yep. she's known amongst horror fans quite well, actually. So I, I remember mm-hmm. even at the time seeing this going, oh, hey, it's uh, Ginger from Ginger Snaps. <laughs> and then the other one is um, Randy, who is played by Jonathan Jackson, who I'm only kind of familiar with, but apparently he was a big dude on General Hospital, the soap opera. Oh, really? Okay. He has, he has nearly 400 episodes logged in that, so... I did not recognize him or know him from anything, but, uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yep. Uh, so yeah. But I thought that they were both... They were both good. It's hard to get a teenage actor, because, you know, it's either they're going to come off as good, or they're going to come off as, like, whiny and angsty for no reason. These characters were both whiny and angsty, but it felt like they had good reason to be. Mm. It felt like they were real characters the whole time, so kudos on that. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, if it wasn't clear, I, I definitely recommend checking Insomnia out if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. There's a, lot of, you know, there's a lot of good quality to it. There's a lot of uh, great character work in it. Um, it's just not as distinct and unique as a lot of other Nolan films, but that by no means makes it... Uh, like lesser you know in terms of like being worth watching um obviously most people probably don't rank it very high in his filmography uh but like i say there's at least one that i would Mm -hmm. rank lower uh significantly because i just outright don't like dunkirk that much (laughs) (laughs) so you just wait till we get there i'm gonna be like this movie touched me look i i hope i hope the second viewing makes me see something like that i didn't before Mm -hmm. it makes me feel something okay i really hope it does I really hope it does. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'll give the spoiler warning then for Insomnia. And we can get into it. Uh, so mm-hmm. the movie, you know, as you said, opens up with, a, uh, you know, as the titles are playing out, there's these little hints of, like, the backstory. But yeah. we quite quickly go into... The opening of Twin Peaks. Ah, actually, I thought of Twin Peaks more later on when all the logs were on the water. That too. That was more Twin yeah. Peaks to me. Uh, the mm-hmm. flying over the ice didn't make me think of Twin Peaks. Well, I wasn't saying the flying. I was saying the fact we have a detective coming into town to investigate a teen girl's murder of a bunch of small town locals. <laughs> that seemed pretty Twin Peaks. Hey, if uh, Twin Peaks characters started popping up uh, in this Alaskan town, I would have probably 
popped hard. Not back then, because I, oh, I hadn't yeah. watched Twin Peaks when I first saw this, but now I'd, now I'd be, be like, why is that lady talking to a log? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we meet Hilary Spike, and she's this, you know, uh, very, very eager cop. She knows Pacino's character very well. She did a case study on one of his cases at the Academy, um, yep. and he's, you know, a little flattered by it. You know, she's, she's bringing up details and... I do think the scene is very good because it's kind of the first we're getting of any of these characters mm-hmm. and it immediately sets up the dynamic of this is a really good cop. Like he is, he's well known even in Alaska and this is a very eager fangirl of his. Yes. Which actually sets up one of the parallels to Robin Williams character just right off the bat here because mm-hmm. the murder victim, uh, Kay, uh it turns out she was a fan of robin because robin williams character is a, is a writer he writes detective yes. novels it turns out and she ended up getting to know him because she met him at a, a book convention or whatever it was a book signing a maybe signing. Yep. and they drummed up a, a a relationship of sorts and she was this protege for him that he was kind of becoming attracted to and obviously mm-hmm. ultimately you know it went dark places we'll get into that as we go um, I do think it's interesting for the the polarity between Pacino and Williams that he has this fangirl character um, yeah. who is here to admire his police work, who who props him up on a on a pedestal, who wants to listen. And there's a, there's a few nice little jokes actually of like he he says something kind of wise about police work, and mm-hmm. he sort of jokes write that down, and then she sort of like goes to actually write it down, and then sort of realizes he's joking, but it's it, you know there's. It's a, there's a little bit of heart there. There's a little bit of a, yeah. a camaraderie that kind of forms. That's still on day one when he's able to cognizantly make jokes. <laughs> he makes at least one joke in day two, I think. But yeah, yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't last long. Yes, yeah. so he starts to break down a bit after that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think that's one of the big parallels early on. And I think actually the heart of the film in many ways is how he views Hilary Swank's character and how he mm-hmm. kind of like tries to effectively preserve who she is by by the yeah. end of the story well i think the the big selling point of the movie is how much is it worth keeping to your morals how much is it worth keeping that high moral ground as a person and some people find the reason to sell out some people find that point where it's like no it's it's worth degrading your morals in this case but i think that the point the movie's trying to make by the end is like it's never really worth it it's always worth keeping your morality in check. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a, a slight tinge of gray to it because mm-hmm. well, I mean, we'll get to it when we get to like what the backstory is, yeah. but there, there, it's definitely not as clean cut as just, you know, a cop went dirty because he started taking payoffs. Like, it's not like that right. at all. There's a lot, no. it's a lot, there's definitely like a genuine good intention of like what mm-hmm. we find out about him. Um, like Al Pacino is definitely a good cop. It's just, other issues yeah so right so we're interested in these characters uh you know the partner uh, hap is a lot more kind of quiet and stern uh, one would say yep. but it introduces here that like they've got some ia problems back in la where they're coming hard down in their department and that's sort of mentioned a few times and it's made mm-hmm. clear though when they come at the police station the you know, the guy who runs this precinct like this is someone that he knows from the past he's like hey it's been seven years whatever and it's like yeah, it's a small town. I didn't think they'd actually send you. So there's kind of an implication that they sent them here. Like, it wasn't like maybe the the normal thing to do, but because they were like almost being investigated, it was like, oh, let's ship mm-hmm. them off to Alaska and that'll buy some time. Maybe things yeah, will it, pull it's, over. 
it sounds like internal affairs was pushing down hard and the captain's like i hate internal affairs just as much as you do how about you get out of here for a while <laughs> yeah just go up north so he's like ah things are simple here and he you know he, he throws the there's like a, you know there's like a note from ia about him and he just he throws it in the trash and he's like no no no, things mm. are simple here let's catch the bad guy let's do the thing and you know i, I think that question of like uh you know are things black and white are there shades of gray i think that's a big thing that plays in this movie as well as we as we go forward because this is effectively mm-hmm. this captain saying no it is it's black and white it's simple here so we're going to keep it simple let's catch the killer and yep. you know it's that that's all it is and then immediately it stops being simple <laughs> yeah well yeah they go to the morgue uh and you know he notices a bunch of details like her nails were clipped and her hair was washed after she was killed things like mm-hmm. that um so these are details and that that tells them this is someone who cared about her this is someone who knows her this is not just uh, a random like attack of someone a stranger yeah, it's also it's also someone who he he did this he committed this heinous crime and he still had the wherewithal to do these tender loving things rather than freaking out and trying to just get rid of the body yeah it's a key point here that he's like this guy may have been this may have been his first time doing this but it won't be his last if we don't stop mm-hmm. him because he he clearly he did this like like a pro yeah. the the line was he crossed the line and didn't even blink so that sets up that and then they go to her her, her house and search her room it's like the idea is okay if it's someone she knew there'll be clues as to who it was there'll be mm-hmm. something we could find and there's a bunch of things they find here but the main things that pop up though are like an expensive dress and a bit of jewelry that no mm-hmm. one could have because he's like hey she got a boyfriend's like yeah could he have afforded this he's in high school <laughs> like no <laughs> and when you meet the kid like yeah there's no way he no ever would. no way. uh the other the other major piece of evidence is there is a photo on her desk of her and her best friend that has been torn right down the middle so immediately he takes note of that and it's just like we're going to be questioning her yes yes the the werewolf of the movie uh ginger mm-hmm. um <laughs> so yes yeah uh, so and then this is where the joke happens of like uh, the time and him wanting to go to this because he wants to make a show of it and get people talking so he wants to pull him out of class you know he wants to pull the mm. boyfriend out of class and uh and all that but we go to the the hotel and um mara tierney's there she's running the hotel they go for food and this is where the conversation of like the ia stuff comes up and haps like look i think i need to cut a deal they're coming after me hard and pacino you know, he's like, like that doesn't sound like a good idea. Like we've, I've put a lot of bad people away, and how many of them are going to suddenly be allowed to like have their cases thrown out and walk because my mm-hmm. judgment, my you know ethics, my are, testimony, yeah, are called into question. Is it really worth that? Um, but as yeah, like you said though, there is a point here where he does say, "I'm a good cop," and I think you know the, the performance is good because I, I I kind of I believe that he believes that when he says it. Like whether or yeah. not we find out something that makes me question that later, it does seem like he believes it when he says it. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. if he did yeah, do no, it, something, it feels like okay, something might have been done for a reason, but it doesn't seem like you're just some dirty cop running around doing whatever you want with no consequence. Yeah. Especially because when it comes down to um, Hap, it, he pretty much openly admits, "Like, look, they've got me. I'm, mm. I'm, I am a dirty cop. I recognize that." And so when he says you're a good cop, you believe it just that little bit more because mm. he's telling him, "Like, yeah, no, look, as a dirty cop, I recognize <laughs> you're a good one." 
yeah so it sets us up but as this pisses him off and he he doesn't want to sit with them anymore and he, he goes back to his room and of course mm-hmm. can't sleep because uh the yep. light and guilt and i guess that that's the big thing is that for me personally i think the light is an issue in this first night of him being able to get to sleep but i think that the there's a line later on in this movie that perfectly describes it Every other night has nothing to do with the light. It's yeah, all yeah. about his guilt. He thinks it does. He tries to tape up the windows and mm-hmm. eventually starts putting pillows up against the window. And there's a great moment when, uh, when uh, Mara Tierney comes in later on and he's like, it's mm-hmm. so light in here. And she's like, nah, it's pretty dark. And she turns on the light switch and it just like, it's like the sun just like turned yeah. on in his eyes. And, and he's, he's just like, like oh. stop. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, please. God, no. Too much light. <laughs> uh, so I, I enjoy that. Um, mm-hmm. So... Anyway, so the question the kid, and actually I really, because there, so there was some bruises on the body that were older mm-hmm. than the, the murder, right? So they go and question the kid at the school, and he's trying to act all tough, he's, he's this kind of like, you know, uh, like punk who listens to metal and doesn't care about anything, and Pacino gets right in his face and starts asking about the bruises, starts asking about all this stuff, and... One of my favorite, it's a really dark line, but one of my favorite lines of the whole thing mm. is when he starts saying, hey, did she know someone else? Like, all these locals might think, like, you're, that like, you could do this, but it's pretty clear you're too stupid to actually yeah. not kill someone. And Like, if you killed her, you'd probably have done it in, like, front of three witnesses like an idiot. So, mm. it's not you. So, tell me you're not stupid enough to, like, leave yourself as the last person who saw her alive, because that'll make you look so guilty. Yeah. And he's like, okay. I, like, we know she had someone, but she never said to her. And Al Pacino says, like, how hard did you try to, like, get her to tell you? And he says, pretty hard. And I'm like, yeah. that is a dark, it's a good line, but it's a dark line. And I, like, mm-hmm. it, it it really paints a picture. And I guess that, that also, if you're going to compare it to Twin Peaks a little bit, like, the more you find out about Laura Palmer in Twin yeah. Peaks, the more you realize that oh, her life was not happy before that murder. Like, it was... Like, mm-hmm. you know, and this doesn't get as weird or dark as that by any means, but this, this did come across like, oh shit, like, you're, you're, you're a piece of crap. <laughs> like, you, yeah, no, it's, it's, you, we established this boyfriend already is not a good guy. Just from like the first time you see him and the first lines he says, he's already a dick. But then you really establish like, no, no, no. But like, he did hit her. Like, that is a thing that yeah. happened in this, in this movie. And so. Which, even if he didn't kill her, which Al Pacino is pretty early on, like you were saying, is certain that he didn't yeah. because he's too stupid and, to do so. And this is something that comes up a few times is that Pacino, he's met killers. You know, he's he's good at looking in someone's eyes and just knowing that you're just not the guy. Like he just he yeah. just knows. Mm-hmm. Um, which, 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 so this is all important stuff though because it, it obviously he becomes this like potential red herring that Williams wants to use for the yeah. police, right? But, like he said, the police, the locals would be like, yeah, no, he'd do it. Yeah. And I think it's important here that it's it's presenting us with a character who seems plausible with the evidence that it could be him um, and also is not very pleasant. So when Williams is trying to justify later on, like, hey, but he's a shithead who beat, beat her up. You know, he'd probably do something mm-hmm. worse someday. It's good that he might get go to prison for this. Like, this is a, this is a great idea. I think it makes the moral point of, like, Pacino not wanting the innocent person to go to jail, it almost makes it more, like, like, by by him being a shithead who's an awful person, but still Mm. wanting to, like, not have him go down for something he didn't do, 
makes it ultimately more powerful i think as a message it's like it doesn't oh, yeah. it doesn't matter that he's this awful piece of shit <laughs> well that's that's the defining line between pacino's character and william's character is that williams believes that bad people need to be punished it doesn't matter like specifically what for so mm. long as they're punished whereas pacino's character believes like they even if they're a great person even if they're a nice guy if they committed the crime they need to pay for that crime yeah and that's where that line comes down and we see how that extension of that applies to his big confession at the end yeah yeah so they find a k the murder victim's bag and they've got this little plan where okay put out a news thing saying we're looking for this bag describe it but put it back where we found it with some stuff in it the idea mm-hmm. that they might catch the killer going back for it till it really maybe he'll realize oh shit i didn't like pick that up from the crime scene or whatever and you'll mm-hmm. go and and get it but Pacino doubts it a, a little bit here. He's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't, because this is technically a bit of a tactic that's, you know, not, not necessarily. Is that what you were getting from that? Because for me, he before he goes on the whole doubting thing, he looks over at his partner. Mm. And it's only then does he turn to the guy and say, like, hey, man, maybe this won't work. It seems to me more like a delay tactic to not go back to L.A. because he knows as soon as he gets back, his partner's going to cut a deal. Oh, yeah. No, I never read it that way. I mean, maybe you're right. I I kind of read it as, like, because everything got on with IA and because his partner is probably going to put him in a position where he has to, like, stick up, like, stand up for everything he's done and every decision he's made. Like, mm-hmm. even though... I think as the audience, this tactic doesn't sound that bad to me. It doesn't sound unfair. Yeah. It's like, no. Like, it doesn't... Pr- obviously... I'm assuming that they won't just throw him in prison for whoever picks up the bag. They have to like look into him and see if the other evidence lines up. Right. But right. yeah, like is is getting a person of interest. This seems like a fair idea to me. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think. I mean, the only thing he throws out there is uh, it's technically circumstantial. Like someone walking into the cabin is not technically confession of a crime. No. But more than not, they could probably at least use that to as the jumping point to find more evidence for them well if it, at this point they even have a name or a person so this would at least give right. them someone to look at you know if... it is it is worth noting uh from the bag they did retrieve two items of note which was her diary mm-hmm. and a paperback novel that was written by robin williams's character yeah but they just pass it off as you know trash and who want who wants to read this drivel and see if there's anything important in it yeah is there anything thematic in it that may be important um mm. obviously it's later on he notices that at the back it says the author lives in this town where it's like wait a minute yeah hmm. that's a bit weird yeah that's a bit fishy so they do this whole sting operation where they're, you know, they're waiting and this is you know the rocky area next to the the ocean and we've got the mist which is you know uh, the poster that she is most often these days is pacino yeah. standing in the mist mm-hmm. and it looks great this sequence yep. when it kicks off uh is, is very very good um you know, like they they catch him coming in. Uh, one of the, the local cops like basically malfunctions with the megaphone and it tips him off, so he goes on the run. And they give chase. They go in, and we get this chase in the fog in the mist. And yep. uh, one of the local cops gets shot in the leg. Nothing too serious, all things considered. Um, but the big thing of the movie that really kind of propels where the rest of it's going to go is that Pacino. Mm-hmm fires a figure in the mist but it turns out that it wasn't robin williams character it was his partner uh hap and i think what's so good about this is that 
and, and this kind of like ties into the way Hilary Swank sees him later at the end of the very end of the movie is that obviously mm-hmm. a big part of this is that Pacino over the course of this is going to start to question like did I do that on purpose because he was going to like not turn them in but you know effectively put yeah. him on a path where he might you know lose his career and his reputation and all that right. and I think in the moment there's not a like a, a like the actual gunshot itself like we can't really see clearly who it is either so it, it never feels and you know someone else just one of one of the other cops just got shot so they have, he's got reason to be on edge oh yeah right for sure so it feels like a justifiable thing in the moment but what's so good about it is that when he goes up and tries to help him and he realizes who it is hap gets scared and says are you trying to kill me and like is mm-hmm. like scared of him in his last few moments before he dies and it's actually a really well done little scene this it's actually quite uh hard-hitting Oh yeah, for sure. Because he's he's it's lethal. There's nothing he can do. But Al Pacino's character, who I guess I should call Will, Will's just keeps on like telling him like it was a mistake. I promise you, it was a mistake. I swear. But you can feel just that shakiness because not only is his partner dying, but already he's questioning like, did I, did I do that? Yeah. Well, uh, this is one of the other beautiful, uh, you know, polar things with robin williams character right who i'll just call Mm -hmm. uh walter i guess it's probably not even an accent the book at names began with the w that's probably an intentional uh, thing so Mm. later on when walter's talking about killing Kay, he says that it wasn't intentional you know she laughed at him when he tried to kiss her and Mm. you know he couldn't take that he hit her to let her know that that was a sign of disrespect and kept hitting her and then he was strangling her and it just kind of kept escalating and he claims it was an accident, and he, he reiterates that over and over again, and he, to the point where he says, hey, you know what it's like to accidentally kill someone. You did it with your partner, I did it with, with Kay. Like, you know, he, he kind of mm-hmm. talks that way. And I think a big part of this movie that kind of sets Will's character on the right path is the more that comparison's brought up, and like the more Walter tries to use that to manipulate him and to like, control him, I think that comparison is ultimately what helps him out in a weird way, because Mm-hmm. having robin williams justify what he did by saying it was an accident and he doesn't deserve to be punished for it whereas we know ultimately that pacino's character will is good because he didn't mean to kill him it was a genuine accident right it wasn't yeah. something that he like as he points out later on it took 10 minutes to strangle <laughs> and like beat mm-hmm. k to death like it, the comparison isn't really that valid but in his head it is in his head the guilt is like you know mounting up and he feels like did i yeah. do this the fact that he is even you know looking for this answer and questioning did i do this do i need to like be held accountable for this versus robin williams character who is immediately like no i can justify this i didn't do this this was an accident i am not a monster i deserve to live my life you know yeah. their reactions to not the exact exact same, but similar enough that you can draw parallels between them. Um, mm-hmm. is, a, is, is a big thing, I think, that ultimately sets Will's character on his ultimate path at the end, where he's like, no, I'm going to stand up and treat what I did the right way. Because obviously, up until that point in the movie, he is covering it up. He's hiding it. He's, yeah. you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's being sneaky about it. He's, he's doing a bunch of bad cop things. Yeah, yeah, to keep it under wraps. And ultimately, mm-hmm. the coming clean, uh, which will inevitably happen when he does the right thing is a choice he makes because he's not Robin Williams character. He's not Walter. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on there. And the major thing that sets them apart is that Al Pacino's character feels he did the wrong thing 
not that he's guilty or anything like that, but that he, yeah, you know, he did something bad. And it goes back to that earlier point I was making is that people who commit a crime need to be punished for that crime. He committed a crime, but he was covering it up. He was trying to get away from it. And that guilt ate him away. Whereas Robin Williams believes if you're a good enough person, then you shouldn't be punished for it. Like if it was all just happenstance and he sees himself obviously as a good enough person. So he sees it's that it's that different way of viewing the morality of it. Yeah, and of course, Robin Williams' character Walter sees this, we find out later, because he uses mm -hmm. it to taunt Pacino. He treats him like he's a friend that he can confide Which, in. Like, I, I get it. This entire movie needs that to happen. But with how dense the fog is and the assumption I'm making that Robin Williams' character kept running away from the cops, I'm, I really don't understand where he was to see this shooting take place. Except for the fact, I guess it could be justified by he knows that the the Al Pacino's character was on his tail, and he knows that he didn't shoot the partner. Yeah, so I'm assuming that once he heard the gunshot, mm. maybe you know, and like maybe then maybe heard the voices and then got a little closer to see. And then by this point, Al Pacino's so wrapped up in like his dying friend, yeah, you know that he's not as aware of his surroundings as he would have been. Uh, oh, that's fair. Yeah, that would be how I'd look at it probably. Mm -hmm. um so yeah so this is obviously the big thing of the movie right it's this the big inciting thing that really sets us on and i i love that there's little motivators for each thing obviously uh one of the key details here is that uh robin williams dropped his gun right mm -hmm. and that's not the gun that was used to shoot uh hap that was you know it was uh pacino's backup gun like so he's yep. got his regular gun and he's got one in his back that he switches to uh which you see him do and one of the key things throughout the movie is that okay so he's got the killer's gun and the police don't know about it he keeps it a secret he later uses that um on a dead dog that he finds in an alleyway uh, yep. so that he can get like you know a bullet that's been fired and he swaps it out with the real bullet that was taken from his partner so the ballistics won't you know tie right. to him yep. and that's the big thing it does what i love about that is that that decision to go and like do that because up until that point okay he's hid the gun and he's he's leaving out some details but this is obviously straight up like he is like conspiring now to cover it yeah. up and he's 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 doing like multi-step plans to like cover his tracks. Yeah. This is motivated because it's after a phone call with internal affairs where he feels judged and he feels unrightly judged because they're they're judging him for things that, you know, he, like in the past that he obviously doesn't feel well, obviously, one thing he does feel maybe a bit conflicted on, but like hmm. he, he, like I think the fact that he feels judged, and now there are just like he's like, hey, it'll be good to see that report about what happened to your partner up there. This is all a bit fishy, and he yeah. feels like you know he has to defend himself, and that motivates him going out and doing all this cover up stuff. So mm -hmm. it does that smart script thing, where there's always a motivator for the next thing that he does. There's always a motivator for oh, that yeah. next thing. This I can't. There are very few scenes in this movie that I think could actually be cut and not impact the movie as a whole it's very tightly written in that way absolutely uh the other thing that happens around here is Kay's funeral which is where uh, pacino goes and talks to Catherine isabel's character who is Kay's best friend but mm -hmm. also seems to be with her boyfriend yeah uh, yeah that's why the photo was torn up is that yeah. she found out that or sorry the main girl the dead girl found out that her boyfriend was cheating on her with Catherine isabel yeah and then yeah, that's the other thing. So Pacino's like, hey, why don't you come take a ride with me? And Catherine Isabel's like, yeah, all right. And she immediately starts flirting with him in the car. It's like, oh, uh, 
cop like she's clearly the small town girl who hates her town wants to go somewhere exciting she's like oh a cop from los angeles oh this is exciting even though pachito is like you know 67 or whatever it is at this point sorry real quick i'm just gonna look up a tiny little show called twin peaks i just feel like i've seen a few things uh, carrying over here just a couple tiny little things um yeah i guess that kind of you can make a comparison there as well I don't think the I don't think it feels like Twin Peaks though. As much as you oh, can, no, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like Twin Peaks, but there's just enough elements that I, are carried over between both. The plot's totally different, but character-wise, yeah. there's like seven of them. Also, I will point out the irony here that in real life, Al Pacino just announced that he got his like girlfriend pregnant, who I yeah. think is in her twenties. So this is not actually that <laughs> strange from that perspective, but. Yeah, yeah, but notably the character in the film here, um, well, he sort of smiles and jokes that he's going along with what she's saying. Uh, ultimately, he takes her to where they found the body at the dump, and is like, mm. "This is where your best friend was found." Now, talk, you little bitch. <laughs> like he, <laughs> that's practically a direct line. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Ah, oh, she's here, wrapped in plastic." Well, that's a Twin Peaks line. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> like that, no, she she was found here. Like, who is this guy? Like, and she's like, no, we knew she had someone, but it was a secret. She didn't tell us who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not too long after this where he starts getting the phone calls from Well, she Waller. she does she does oh. give away one thing. Um, she used a code name, like a fake name for him, and it was mm. Brody, which does lead him, when he gets the call from Walter, he's looking at Walter's book, and it says a Brody detective adventure. Yeah, 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 yeah. On it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that obviously yeah, it isn't just jump to that because it would be a, such a leap to just assume it's the writer of the book that was in her bag. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's the Brody, then the the fact that he lives here is what clues him in. Yeah. Um, that's the second phone call. The first one's when he's at his hotel and mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, you've been going a few days without sleep now." Well, uh, you know, like, hey, which maybe this is only a me thing because I've watched the movie like three times. Mm-hmm. I watched Goodwill Hunting, and having him say Will in like the exact same tone that he talks to Matt Damon's character in Goodwill Hunting. I, I just couldn't get it out of my head, like his character in that. Um never thought of that. I've seen Goodwill Hunting once a while okay. ago, but I never I, I enjoyed it and I've seen it like three times, so that character is far more in my mind than Walter Finch. <laughs> so yeah, like so it, it becomes this thing where like he wants to meet uh will and he wants to meet him in person uh although because he's figured out who he may be will actually goes to his apartment and uh ends up you know running into him almost and we get a chase scene that you know is running across the logs on the water where pacino yeah. almost dies he falls in the water and he has to climb his way back out and he goes back he goes back to his apartment uh to to, to walter's apartment to look for stuff and he plants what what was Walter's gun anyway, admittedly, mm-hmm. but he plants the gun back in his place and, you know, behind the vent. And, yep. of course, Walter calls him on the phone and says, hey, you're probably back at my place because where else would you go after that fall in the water? Have a shower. There's clean towels in the bathroom. He's very friendly mm-hmm. about the whole thing. He's trying oh, to yeah. build up a camaraderie. Uh, but it leads to a meeting uh, in public on the ferry, right? Yep. And this is where we get the plumber line that we brought up earlier, but... <laughs> Basically, Walter's like, look, I know you killed your partner and you don't want them looking into this. So how about, you know, you help me effectively. We both get to keep our lives. You know, the boyfriend did it, right? They're going to call me in for questioning. And I think 
so, something that you know bothers me a little bit as well about his character in a way that i think it's supposed to is that mm-hmm. pacino assuming he's going along with this right and you know i think you always question if he really is actually agreeing to work with him or if he's just playing along until he can get him later which oh, it yeah. seems like he is because he wants to like find the dress you know the smoking gun that will prove that this guy is the killer <laughs> but when Robin Williams is like basically saying, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll give I'll give them this bit of evidence. I'll talk about how the boyfriend was abusive," and Pacino's like, "No, no, no! It sounds too good if you just give them a suspect. You have to let them find the boyfriend. Like, like mm-hmm. admit that you knew her because they know that already. That that'll be too too suspicious if you try and lie about that. Like, he gives right. them like legitimate good advice." See, you say that, but I don't think so. I no? think he phrases it as if it's good advice, but when we get to the scene later, he gives up Ricky anyway, and the cops fall for it. The cops are 100% hook, line, and sinker on it. I think he knew that these cops are willing to suspect Randy, the boyfriend, and so they were. he was telling him, like, don't bring up Randy because the cops are totally going to believe you, and I don't want them thinking about Randy. That's well, It's certainly legit advice because I think if you look at it from a perspective of like if he was if it was him right who was hearing oh, the yeah, information but that's, if he was if these cops are smart that's what he's saying like for me personally that's how it would work but these cops are stupid and so he's phrasing it in the way that makes sense but he knows like the in the end game he just doesn't want randy brought up at all well no i agree that's his goal here like i think he mm-hmm. doesn't want him to bring up the boyfriend and you said ricky a second ago is it ricky or randy make your mind Sorry, up randy my bad <laughs> right daryl i no, i think he, he, he i think he gives him good advice but the goal is ultimately to still delay the idea of going after the boyfriend because he knows the boyfriend's yeah. innocent so he, he would yeah, rather, what I was saying. Yeah. yeah he'd rather not do that but i think the, i think but i think it's it's that thing where he's giving him legitimately advice that also helps what he's trying to achieve is this is that you know, bury the lie in a lot of truth to make it sound convincing kind of thing, right? That's fair. You know, yeah. I, I think that's kind of what he's doing here. And I think uh, the reason why I'm sort of fighting your point there a little bit is because, mm-hmm. well, maybe he thinks these cops as a whole like, would probably buy this thing. I think one of the the, the best parts of the film, the heart of the film, is how he views Hilary Spank's character. And I don't, yes. I don't think he thinks she's an idiot. In fact, there's a really good bit that I think is already before this scene, actually, where... Mm-hmm. So after the shooting of his partner, um, they technically put her on the, that case. It's like, hey, this is a separate case. You look into it, write it up, do it. Because he basically thinks, you know, the captain basically thinks, oh, this is a nothing thing. Just write the report. We know what happened. And that's it's, the end it's of it. It's worth noting that she specifically says that she has never been put on a felony. Yeah. She's always on misdemeanors. Like, they don't trust her yet to do big things. And, and Pacino does say to her, like, hey, don't knock those. Like, those are still important. And those mm-hmm. are still things that have to be dealt with. And you know, looking like the way you catch people is still the same, whether it's a murder or something that's a misdemeanor. Yeah. You you look at the small details and yeah. you see how they don't add up. Right. He gives her good advice. So she writes up the report. She gets like his opinion on where he was standing on the map and all that stuff. And she comes up with the report. And I think it's before this part of the movie. I think it's before he meets Robin Williams. Yep. Uh, where she hands him the report. And I think this is like one of the best little moments in the whole movie that tells you deep down like who he really is and what what like ultimately where it's going is because she hands him the report it's all done this is before she sort of went digging deeper for, to find anything that doesn't match with his story or anything like that so right mm-hmm. now like all he has to do is sign it as the supervising officer and that's it done like the, the murder of his partner will never be questioned yep and he chooses not to sign it and he says hey 
your name's on this, this is important, make sure you go check all the details. He mm. provokes her to go digging, which I think you, could, you can read this like three different ways, and I think yeah. all of them are valid, and I think they're all working at the same time. I think so. So for me, my reading of it is that he saw the he saw the place where he had to sign it. He immediately thought of, you know, I have this internal affairs thing going on. I'm already guilty about my partner, and like you're saying, he's kind of just like, okay, well, I don't really, I don't like the story as it's being told now. You go through and you make sure that this absolutely cannot be traced back to me. And only at that point will I sign. You are such a cynical prick. I, that is not even one of the things no, no, that I that's thought the, of. That's not even. That's not. I'm not trying to come off as like a cynical thing. I'm not. I'm not saying that he's trying to like get away with it. Oh god! I think no, he, you're wrong. I think he's, no, this is no, awful. No, 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 no. I, it was okay. Hold on. Hold on. Let me. Let me. Let me re-explain here. So the, it's not so much of him trying to get away with it in a criminal sense, but it's more so of that, if he puts his name on this, and it eventually comes out when internal affairs are at any point that actually he did shoot his partner. This is going to be the thing that is like the worst thing for him ever. You're so cynical. So, this is, it's, that's how I read. I don't no, know what you no, want that's not the story of the goddamn movie. So I think there's a few ways you could read this. I didn't read it as that at all. Like all right. they're all positive with all the ones I've got because I, <laughs> this is a positive moment in the character story. This is the moment that tells you that deep down he doesn't want to be acquitted of this, right? This is okay. you know him challenging her to go and look is like no, like I can't. Deep down he doesn't you know he doesn't want to just get away with it, right? That's one. Mm-hmm. Number two, he doesn't want to sully her, right? And that's a big key thing at the end of the movie as well is yes. that her name's on this, and he doesn't want to bring her down to his new level because he actually respects that she's this eager cop who actually believes in what she's doing and doesn't mm-hmm. want her reputation or or just or, you know, who, who she is to be brought down by handing in this report that he knows on some level. And it's the, and the funny thing is, it's, she's not even choosing to do anything wrong here. As far as she's aware at this point, it's accurate. It's only when she mm-hmm. goes digging deeper that she starts to find other clues. Yes. So this moment, I think, is so good because it, it, it reveals how he's kind of deep down actually feeling about it. And I, even not even on a conscious level. Like, I, I think that's the beauty of it is that in the moment he makes this choice, and I'm not so sure if you asked the character right after he did that, like, why you know, like why did you just do that? You, you almost just had a get-out-of-jail-free card, effectively, handy to you. Mm-hmm. And he just couldn't do it. And I think it's a combination of how he really feels about it, but also how he doesn't want to corrupt her. Um, so I, I, I'm willing to accept that. Uh-huh. I don't think that it's an invalid reading. I think that's just as valid. However, my counterpoint towards the idea of him wanting to be caught and him like egging her on is towards the end of the movie. She has the evidence. She suspects him of lying. She has all the reason to believe that. And when she confronts him and says, Hey, we don't have backup weapons. Do we? He says, no, he lies and says he, he doesn't have one either. No, that's true, but like, I don't think that that disputes anything in this scene because, first of all, by the time we get to that point in the movie, he is so goddamn tired. Yeah. And... He's a very different person. <laughs> like, he just kind of grunts that at her um, without yeah. really giving it much thought. And at that point as well, keep in mind, this happens before he's even met Robin Williams. By the time that scene right. comes up later, he's went through so much shit with Robin Williams where he's been like fighting to try and, like, you know, keep everything secret. Um,. Mm. 
you know, he, he gives it like a half response. I think I think this is a very important moment in the overall I don't know. I guess, journey of the character. I think, don't get me wrong, I think that deep down the character does want to be caught. I agree with that. I think that is in his most basic level, that is what he wants. And, and even, but, but even if you, even if you discount that part of it, though, I think this idea of that he can't bring himself to let her not be the best cop she can be, to not, mm. to not do what he thinks she's capable of, which I think is the oh, heart yeah. of it more than anything, is that he's not going to let her not do a good job even if it means his ultimate downfall he's still oh, yeah, challenging well, her to go do that but see that even still fits into my theory as well of he's he's sending her out saying like look you if anyone's going to be able to crack this it's going to be you i want you to go over all the details and figure this out and see if even you could figure this out i think that he does have faith in her of being that good cop i don't think that that's invalid with what i'm what my theory is either so I agree that that's also a major but, part of it. That is, but, yeah, that is no, like the if, heart of it no, as well. But in your side of things, if he does believe in her, then what? Like, how is it this cynical thing where he said? Again, I don't. I think that that's surface level. I think that surface level, he doesn't want to be caught. But I do agree that on the most basic level, the guilt that okay. is the entire point of the movie is eating him away. That that's the reason why he's like, look, if I'm putting the best possible person on this, so that it can theoretically come to light. Like, if he really wanted to have it uh, the other way around, he could easily get anyone else to, like, run the investigation or sign off on it. The captain would almost certainly agree with him of, like, yeah, sure, we'll put someone better on it, more or less. Which is why I don't think, it like, what you've said matters that much, though, in the context of what the scene is doing. Like, because, you see, yeah. you can just pass it off to the captain if it's, not, if, it's mm-hmm. a, if it's about having his name on it. No, yeah, and again, that's what I'm saying, though, is that from a basic level of the most base level of a character his guilt is eating him away he does want to be caught but i think that the reason that he doesn't sign there and i mean the reason that he doesn't let robin williams come forward either because that was robin williams whole thing is like look you turn me and i'll turn you in that's as easy as that i think that he does have some reason not to want to be caught like he does want to be able to at least obviously no one's like when we're talking about him wanting to be caught he doesn't actually want to be caught most of the movie on a surface level obviously he's trying the whole movie to not be caught we're saying that deep down on some level when he was faced with an easy choice he didn't Mm -hmm. take that way out though right he actually actively chose not to sign this which is why i think it's a really important character beat that is more subconscious than anything else but maybe more on the surface is about like her it's more about not having her dragged down by being a part of the the falsehood that he's kind of you know spinning and i I think that's a fair reading but i just also see it as part of the thing of this is a false statement and we've already established that his major confession his big thing when we get to later on is regarding a false statement a false chain of evidence and i think that's a thing that he doesn't want that guilt on her just as much as he doesn't want to have it blow back in his face yeah, that's what I'm saying. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, you, you're discounting the whole blowing back in his face side of things. You don't think that's a part of it at all. I agree that your part's a thing of it, <laughs> but also my thing. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I just, I don't get that. It was because it was, I mean, it was again earlier on when we were talking about the, the bag tactic of trying to catch the guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, I don't know, you're reading of that and this obviously, they both sync up. They both link together. Yeah. Uh, and I just didn't read either of those with this kind of, yeah, like, you know, him trying to 
I, I don't know. Like, again, I, maybe maybe this is, again, me wanting the character to be slightly darker than he is. You you seem to be coming into this with him being a very, like, moral, upstanding kind of guy, where I'm viewing him as a lot more shades darker than, by the end of the film, he's represented as. Well, I don't know if I'd describe him as upstanding, necessarily, but, like, he he is a character who clearly has done something bad... Um, although he believes the ends justified the means. That's a phrase that comes up later, and it's very much yes. key to the, the themes of the film. Is is it worth doing something that's technically wrong for an ultimately good goal? Mm-hmm. And can you know can you live with that? Like that's kind of the the thing that's come up uh when we get to his confession, which you know, I think we can more or less just dive yeah, into just now. Say it now. Yeah, sure. uh, because you know, when he's at his lowest point, when they've arrested the the kid, uh, you know, the boyfriend and it seems like the case is done and everything's over and he's having drinks with the others. He goes back and he, to... he's gone six days without sleep at this yeah. point. Yeah, and he goes back to the hotel. He's, he's struggling to sleep and Maura Tierney, who's, you know, popped up a couple of times throughout the film uh, mm. in a sort of, you know, casual way, um, comes in uh, to talk to him because, you know, he's making noise or whatever and there's complaints from the neighbours. Yeah. He, you know... He he just kind of like at this point in the film though because he's at this turning point where it's time to go and he doesn't know at this point that Hilary Swank started to piece some things together that kind of like mm-hmm. imply that he did you know he was the one that fired the gun that that killed the partner right, right. Uh, she's starting to piece that together based on a shell she found based on the fact that she knows he carries a backup weapon so on so mm-hmm. on but he is like okay it's time to go and he's feeling conflicted about that he doesn't know how to feel about anything and you know he's flat out said at this point like you know he's not even sure like did he mean to kill his partner yet i mean he says that a lot more when he's talking to swank right at the end but yeah he's feeling conflicted mm-hmm. um and there's that great scene earlier on as well where he has to call his partner's wife and tell oh, her yeah that's a great scene yeah because it's just him on the phone you never see her and he's just sort of saying, yeah, like, he's gone, he's dead. Um, mm. And the, the wife says, when you find him, you don't arrest him. Are you hearing mm. me? Um, so and that plays into the idea as well of justice and what is justice, what is revenge yeah. kind of thing. I do like, especially if we're talking about the phone call now, I especially like the specific line in there where he's telling her what happened, but it's all lies by omission. Yeah, Like, yeah. he doesn't, he, she's like, oh, what happened? And he's like, uh, we were in a foggy area, and the killer, I was chasing him, and then uh, he got yeah, shot. he never actually says a, light, a sentence that's wrong. Everything no. he says is accurate. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, like you say, uh, lies be a mission. So he talks to me, attorney, and for whatever reason, he chooses her to be this, like, you know, confessional. Like, he just, he needs to yeah. ask her opinion. It's, it's right after she says that, you know, like she is someone who wasn't born here she's someone who moved here to you know get away from something yeah and so he he talks about this case this case that was about a year and a half ago where this guy would watch this young boy who was you know waiting to be picked up after school every day and eventually worked up the nerve to kidnap him and he never actually says anything too specific but he just says he made him do things which definitely implies sexual to me uh yeah so Essentially, this guy kidnapped a kid, tortured him sexually for like three or four days, and then ultimately killed him. But didn't even mm-hmm. do a good job of it, where the, the kid had to suffer in a, in a noose until he eventually died. You know, he didn't properly like break his neck or anything like that. Yeah. 
And so pretty heinous, right? This sounds like horrific. It sounds like a horror show. Mm-hmm. And we get this thing where, okay, there wasn't enough evidence. He knew. He, like, as soon as he met this guy, he knew deep down this was the guy that did it. Right. And there just wasn't enough evidence. But he's looked in, you know, a jury doesn't know what it's like to look into a killer's eyes, but he does because he's done it before. And obviously you can debate in a grand sense, like, can you count on instinct? You probably shouldn't. There's a reason why. We, I mean, we just did 12 Angry Men on the yeah. Criterion show <laughs> talking about reasonable doubt. So obviously, yeah, this shouldn't be just like the, you know, justifiable in its own right. But he was so convinced that he he planted evidence. He took some of the boy's blood from his corpse and planted it into this guy's place. And yep. it's actually a little drop of the blood actually spilling on his shirt, his, his sleeve, that mm-hmm. opened the movie. You know, that's the close-up of what you're seeing at the start. This yep. is literally, uh, you know, staining his clear, um, yeah, clean we, reputation. We keep cutting back to, throughout the course of this movie, what seems to be the cotton of the shirt getting drenched with this blood, and it just stains it solid red. And yeah. it just is a repeating motif over and over again. So, he, you know, he's, he's basically saying, like, you know, I couldn't let him walk. I had to put him away. Like, mm-hmm. do you think, in this case, the ends justified the means? I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but that's effectively the question. Yeah, that's pretty much, yeah. And then she, attorney says, like, it, basically what it comes down to is, what are you willing to live with? That's what it's all about. Like, yeah. you're the only one that you have to answer to in the end. Did you, did you think it was right at the time and were you willing to live with it? And I think the thing with the movie is that on some level, I think he is willing to live with that because ultimately mm-hmm. he believes he put away the person who was responsible. But I think right. the point of this scene is that he's not going to be able to live with this, with the, what the movie's, you know, been about. He's not well, going to live with letting this go because his partner's death has to be answered for by him yeah and the murder of the teenage girl has to be answered for by robin williams character Mm -hmm. yeah no for sure because it is this it is this idea of like i said twice now the whoever committed the crime needs to be punished that's the way he views the world that's the way it has to be and that's what he explains in this story like this guy even if the justice system found him innocent he committed the crime and as the audience were led to believe that he's Right. There's no reason to doubt his testimony. There. Yeah, it sounds, you know, mm. as reasonable so, as it can without more details. So with that in mind, he has the only two guilty parties here in this movie are himself and Walter. And both of them are about to get off scot-free, which obviously does not jive with the way he views the world. So he has to go out and correct that. Oh, that said, though, I, I also do want to acknowledge that clearly, though, this planting of evidence and sort of betrayal of the rules and his morals is still a stain on his conscience because it is mm-hmm. something that ultimately he doesn't want Hillary Swank to do at the end. He he stops her and says, no, don't lower yourself. Never lose who you are mm-hmm. in this. Because no, obviously do... that, because that is important. And I think... Yeah. Because <laughs> our key thing here is that he, he puts his badge back on. He actually took his badge off like way earlier in the movie and put it like in the drawer. Yeah. yeah. And he's not had it on since. And he puts it back on. And I think it's this idea that he's going to do one last good act as a cop before mm-hmm. it probably is going to come to an end because of what happened to his partner. He's going to do mm-hmm. one last thing. Um, and maybe it'll kill him. Maybe he'll die. But I don't think he's necessarily going on a suicide mission. I think it's just, no. No this is the one last good thing I'm going to do. And this badge means something to him. He's going to make it matter in the, in the ending. Now I, I do want to point out though, when he stops Hillary Swank from throwing away evidence that would otherwise 
just prove him guilty. Mm -hmm. Do you think he would have done it if she was going to, like, do something to an innocent man? Because, again, his whole viewpoint is the guilt, the people who commit the crime have to be held accountable. He did commit the crime, and she was about to let him get off free. It's more so him saying, like, look, I did it. Let me face the consequences. I don't think it's as much of him saying, don't be someone who, for instance, wouldn't plant evidence to get someone who did it, as he did before. That's where I'm wondering where that side comes down on. Because the way the movie sells it, it seems like he wants her to be a by-the-books cop. He wants her to do, like, not plant evidence on guilty people either. But because of the way that it was framed, it's only saying, hey, look, do cops at least the same way that I do cops, where do whatever it takes to get the guilty people. I disagree. I think you're... I think you're so, like, laser-focused on this. Someone did the crime, therefore they're guilty and should be put away. I think Mm -hmm. you're laser-focused on that. He clearly says to her in this final scene when he's dying, after he's been shot by Robin Williams, um, no, don't don't lower yourself, yourself, right? He clearly Mm -hmm. says that. I think that is him saying that he does, you know, there was a path that he went on when he planted evidence. He's saying, no, don't lose yourself. I think that's that's why Hilary Swank's character is so important to this film because Mm -hmm. it's, he sees maybe even a younger version of himself that he, you know, he's like, she idolizes him, but in reality, by the end of the film, he kind of, you know, idolizes what she is because this is, this is him before he lost himself, before he lowered himself uh, Mm -hmm. for what he thought was justifiable at the time. But now like he's realized what he's lost in the process of doing that um and i agree i i think that is how the movie portrays it and i think that's the best way to read it i was just wondering do you think that if if say al pacino's character were to make it past the end of this movie would he oppose her of you know letting like that child killer free because there wasn't enough evidence yeah yeah Uh, and that's the arc of the movie i think by the end he would do things differently i think that's the point like it, <laughs> by the end he's like no under no circumstance like don't lose who you are like, if you're a good cop mm-hmm. and stay a good cop and i think that's yeah. you know part of the thing is that at the start of the movie when he's talking to his partner he says he's a good cop and we believe that he believes him but i think at the end of the movie he's realized that he was pretending that he was still a good cop but on some level that wasn't really true anymore i mean sure yeah. he's better than a lot he's better than a lot of real cops let's be honest oh yeah <laughs> but, for sure <laughs> like if anything that's that's the one weird thing about like watching this now in like 2023 is that mm-hmm. there's been so much more you know on the news and things about police brutality and corruption yeah. things um that i think the the, the world's view on specifically american police uh is is very different that the mm-hmm. idea that he has this respect and honor for the badge and that's why he puts it away and then puts it back on when he's going to do something good at the end that yeah if anything just the real world kind of like makes you feel a bit more cynical about that one element of it but i think in the context of the story itself it all works and you understand oh, yeah. what it represents to him and you understand you know what all this stuff is is doing insane yeah but because look if, if he were to have made it out of this movie like you said he didn't intend on going on a suicide mission most likely i think the next step would have been he goes back to la and just goes to internal affairs and I think says so, all yeah. right what do you want to know yeah i i think you you probably would be open about it um mm-hmm. um you know i i think you know i i, I don't think the movie's ending is very cynical i think it is quite you know wholeheartedly yeah. presenting us with 
no, he has changed. He the advice he's giving her is not just because he's dying and doesn't have to face it. Like mm-hmm. I think if he was going to live, he'd still say that. But obviously, you've also got the thematic point where him dying is also him finally being allowed to sleep. And yes. the idea that he's allowed to sleep and rest now, even though it's technically death, is because he cleared his conscience. Mm-hmm. There's that yeah, line, absolutely. Uh, you know, just after the halfway point, give or take, where she's picking him up at the hotel, and she's like, hey, you said this once, uh, that a good cop can't sleep because there's a piece of the puzzle missing, but a bad cop can't sleep because he's got a guilty conscience. And he kind of smiles and says, oh, I said that. Sounds like something I'd say. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, obviously it's very thematically true to to the movie that honestly to the point where that feels kind of just like audience i want to make sure you're getting this now <laughs> pay attention yeah yeah i mean i think you know hard little investigative bits are all, all solid enough on their own i like yeah i mean if, if you go through her entire plot it's very bare bones what she actually has to go through to find enough evidence to put him away because it's she she looks at the map she does a little what could charitably called library research scene where she's just looking over all the evidence and then comes to the realization of like, he couldn't have been standing where he said he was. And then she finds the shell casing. Why does this all sound framed so negative? (laughs) It's not, it's not, I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to matter of factly say what her plot is. It's so bare bones. I'm going to generously call this a research scene. (laughs) Like everything's just shrouded in this negativity. Maybe I'm negative. I don't it know. Doesn't need, I like to th- it doesn't need to be any more than it is. <laughs> you look at the ratings over this show, I've always been at least a half point over you. I know, but you so... sound so much more negative when we actually talk about things. <laughs> Maybe that's... I'm just filling in for Connor. That's it. <laughs> like, that's all it is. You know, she, she's a supporting character. Ultimately, it's Pacino's yeah. story, and that's who gets the time. That's who gets the fleshed right. out, right? Um, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say is the fact of this thing that is a major impact for the character of will dormer it's at most maybe like five minutes of screen time collectively that really piece it all together because it is while it is this thing that very majorly impacts him it's not the focus of the story like you're saying it is this like we need to have this happen so that we can get to the point where he is able to clear his conscience yeah, I mean, when you said there only adds up to about five minutes of screen time if you add it all up, I mean, my react, my response to that, if you hadn't kept going, would have been, well, and? Does it need more? Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, there's no there's no scene in this movie that I feel like I could remove and the movie could still fully function as well as it does. Everything feels critical, including her side yeah, of things. Yeah, aside from maybe the blowjob joke. <laughs> That's the only one. <laughs> that, that's the that's the one scene. You'd step that out probably, and that'd be fine. Because yep. uh, you know, one of the things we glossed over, obviously, because we were talking about the uh, like the, the emotional Confession. climax and all that, yeah, um, is the scene where Robin Williams does come out of the police station to give his statement, and then says everything that Pacino told him not to say in front of him mm-hmm. when he's pretended he's never met him before, and Pacino's getting really riled up, and they're like, oh. And it, it becomes clear throughout this conversation that Robin Williams has planted, he's, he's found the gun. He found the gun that yeah. Pacino planted in his house, which was originally his anyway. Um, but he's found that and planted it on the boyfriend's place. And mm-hmm. Pacino wants to go and try and get it. But he's like, no, no, he's opening up to you. He's You're the one he's talking to. So Pacino intentionally gets angry and starts yelling and like threatening to him. So this, I immediately was just like, oh, Christopher Nolan was rehearsing his Dark Knight interrogation scene pretty early <laughs> on in his career here. So, so he has to go cool off, which is a good excuse to drive over to the boyfriend's place. And this is all very noble because he's trying to like protect someone who, while he's a shithead, is innocent of this crime. So... 
Yeah. He's actually trying... And I, I love that when the, the rest of the cops show up with the warrant, right? Which, by the way, mm-hmm. I don't believe you can get a warrant this quickly, but that's fine. We'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> but he's searching... The other cops show up, and he hides in the bathroom, and the other cops come in, and they start searching. I love that after a couple of minutes when no one's watching the bathroom door, he just casually walks out as if he's just arrived and just mm-hmm. walks up. Because he's obviously he's a cop. He's meant to be here. But he just... Yeah. He, he can't be caught being in there before they've opened the door. <laughs> so it's just... I just love how sly it is. It's just a sly little thing. Yeah. It, it feels like there's going to be, like, this entire scene of him trying to, like, sneak out before he gets caught and anything like that. But then immediately he just gets the opening of, like, oh, I guess I can leave now. All right, cool. Yeah. Another parallel as well between uh, Walter and Will. So... One of the things we said, Pacino said early on, is that Walter will kill again because he clearly has crossed this line and he's like mm. done it so efficiently and with such care. Um, which, by the way, he points out later as well. You know, when Robin Williams says that he never touched her like that, um, mm. he's like, "Yeah, so that's why you trimmed her nails and cleaned her hair because after you killed her, this this was as close you could get to being intimate was like dressing yeah. her up after the fact." So I, I like that detail. But he is like, you know, he's going to do this again. And I think that ties in as well. Obviously, at the end, he is about to do it again because, you know, mm-hmm. Hilary Swank comes out to, like, collect some evidence from him and he intentionally leaves, like, the dress out so she'll notice it and she gets suspicious, so you'll have to... Because that's the thing. When Pacino shows up, he's like, hey, she's here. She knows that you've done something well. We're going to have to deal with her. Like, no, you wanted there to be something you had to deal with. You put her yeah. in this this position as much as you could. So... I think this idea that once he's crossed that line, he's going to do it again, I think that also tracks with Pacino's character. Once mm-hmm. he planted evidence once, even if it was for something he believed was a good, justifiable cause, even if it's outside the law, ultimately he's going to do it again. And sure enough, throughout the course of this film, he started doing it again to cover up this mm-hmm. you know, accident that happened. And it also it is for less and less noble reasons. Yes, like yes. the first time, it is a definite child murderer getting off that's sure why not noble reason but then you get him planting this gun back in um williams place and it's like okay well yeah that's still noble. you're trying to plant evidence on a guy who killed this girl fine but then he switches out the shell casing that shot his friend and it's like okay but that one there's no reason for you yeah. to do that buddy yeah so like I, I think that again it's a really good mirroring between those two characters and i think ultimately mm-hmm. you know, it's him realizing that he's going down this path at the end and choosing not to continue repeating and becoming more you know him becoming a dirty cop is a lot like robin williams becoming a serial killer where they're both like at that stage where they're just starting to become those things yeah it's also worth mentioning that um robin williams we said before he wrote detective novels he is a writer he says here like i did want to be a detective yeah, yeah. like i i always looked up to cops that's why i write these novels i just couldn't pass the tests and <laughs> our eternal affairs would have taken you if you'd asked them. yeah exactly <laughs> should have applied there would have been great. <laughs> um but no that's that's just one of those things where it feels like there was a point where both of them were the same person and then being a cop is the point where they diverged where al pacino managed to become a cop and robin williams character did not and that's the point where they started going down these different paths of who they were as people but their core fundamental who they are underneath has a lot of similarities similar I, yeah i wouldn't say same person i don't think i'd agree with oh, that no 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 that because again they have different moral codes yeah but they do I, have 
and we, similar like ways of doing things and we have no idea of like what personality wise they were like when they were you know at sure. that yeah. similar age or whatever so I, yeah i wouldn't go that far but yeah there's obviously a lot of parallels that are, that mm. are placed between them and like i say it's very important for pacino's character because it's like basically recognizing you know and every time william says hey we're just alike because you did this just like i did obviously mm. he doesn't like that he he like you know tries to defend himself he gets angry he's like no don't be compare me to you but the realization mm. that he's kind of right there are similarities is what makes him realize oh wait i have done something bad i can't go down this path you know it's a, yeah. it's a big part of him realizing what he's becoming and who he is um so you know i would kind of look at this as a, a, a story about a character who is ultimately good but is falling off that wagon but is mm-hmm. able to realize he's doing it by the end to like redeem himself for these choices that he's made like that that, that to me is what the story is yeah. um but you know everything you know between the villain between hillary swank who, who plays the noble young idealistic version of, of a of a cop that he maybe one day was is they're all important as tools to tell his stories it's very much a movie with a central character who every other per- character ties into their themes who right. evolves their story and gives them their their key part and i think the writing from that perspective is really good there is one weird moment I want to point out that I, I don't quite like. It's not a big deal oh. because it's like two seconds, but there is a moment when Pacino's packing to leave the next day where he looks over and his partner Hap's sitting in the chair, but he's transparent like a ghost. And I thought that was really weird. <laughs> I don't even remember that moment. Oh, I guess it, I might have been looking away there. It's so quick, but he's like, I wouldn't have minded him just sitting there, but the fact that they faded him like he was a ghost just made it feel mm. like. I, I get that he's just seen it in his head and he's just thinking about it. And that's the that's the only point of it. But I'm like, yeah. did you have to make him look like a ghost though? <laughs> like, cause that it, just... was pro- it probably would have been the same scene that I thought was a weird moment that wasn't elaborated on. Um, when he gets ready to leave on his final day, the uh, Rachel Turney's character is just asleep in his bed. Mara Tierney. Mara Tierney, my bad. But he's just asleep in his... I think that's her character's name is Rachel. But yeah, did... Were they supposed to like have like a romance scene? No, in the middle of there? I, I don't think. I, just... I don't think so. I, I think, yeah, there's not a single thing that hints at romance. I... It, there isn't, but like, I can't figure out why the hotel manager would fall asleep in one of the tenants' beds. No, I don't. This is a problem. I think this is an intentional thing. Is that she fell asleep and he's not right? The idea that she is comfortable with who she is. So even though she ran to Alaska to get away from something, uh, okay. it's like no, she can fall asleep and she has fallen asleep after sitting talking to him. But he's still, you know. So the idea that her conscious is clear now, but his isn't, and that's you know, that, that's why it's like so, such a visual thing where it goes from her lying in the bed to him picking up his badge. Like he can't do this yet, so he's going to go and you know. But okay, yeah, I'll give you that. I guess it's she was kind of like a minor character, all things considered. We didn't get a lot into her backstory or like who she really was. Mm. So I never really considered her to be the representative of a clean conscience. Yeah. Um. At the very least, I don't know if... Yeah, at the very least, she she's at peace with whatever she did or whatever she has done in her past. And I don't think it's important what she did, which is why the movie doesn't even, you know, right. try yeah. to get into it. It's just... Um, but I think that's the, the, the point of that. Uh, because okay. falling asleep is such a big thematic thing in this movie. I don't think it's trying to imply anything else. <laughs> that's fair. I guess I... I... I guess I would have liked it to see her fall asleep rather than yeah. already being asleep. It's, all, it's also, to make that point. I think you see in the clock is 8 a.m. when he's leaving here. So clearly she was there talking to him until mm. some silly time in the yeah. middle of the night. 
yeah. and eventually just passed out and he's like ah whatever it's not like he's using the bed <laughs> yeah uh so yeah she's also yeah, fully I mean, clothed as well just in case you want any other oh yeah no, she's above the covers there's yeah. no no hint of anything happening there it was just i don't know it caught me off guard i was like why is she still here also she should have left al pacino at this point is like a zombie sitting there oh yeah like he he is not functioning sexually in <laughs> any you, capacity can you imagine him expending the energy of sex and then still going on the next day he would just collapse outside the hotel there is no way he would have been able to continue especially because i think i think the bar scene is after that correct no, no, it's before. before. It's before. before? He, okay. he, he comes. He comes back to the hotel to pack after that bar scene because that's well, that's, that's where Hilary Swank um, like hugs him so she can feel if he's got a gun, gun. in the back. Yeah. Um, and she, obviously, right. she's very conflicted at this point because all the evidence is pointing to him lying about something, which is why mm-hmm. you know because we kind of glossed over that part as well at the ending where just right. before he goes to confront uh, Robin Williams, she has a gun on him and he's like, "You lied about your partner. Did you shoot mm-hmm. him?" and he's like i did and she's like did you mean to and he quite honestly at this point says i'm not even sure anymore like you know Mm. i couldn't see it was hard but on some level did i i don't know and i don't think he did that's the thing if you go back to that scene it does seem pretty clear in the the scene itself that it is just an accident but that's kind of the point though is that robin williams sees his murder as an accident and justifies it repeatedly after the fact, whereas Al Pacino, mm. after the fact, is like, no, did I, in some level, like subconsciously mean to do that? Right. You know? So two two points on that scene. First is, I agree with your reading of it as it was presented, but I think mm. that if they wanted to play that mystery up a little bit more, they should have made it a bit more ambiguous during the shooting scene itself. Even Even something as simple as you see this figure emerging from the fog, or... Al Pacino does sees this figure emerging from the fog, and we just hold on Pacino for an extra two or three seconds, mm. just to give the implication that he might have been able to see who it was through well, the fog. I think the question is though: is, did, did they want that to be a mystery? Right. Like, and right. I would argue they didn't because I think again the the the, the, the dichotomy of him and, and Williams' character is that his is a clear accident that he then feels guilty about because he's deep down a good person. And William's mm. murder is clearly not an accident, but he convinces himself it is because he's deep down, well, a killer. <laughs> you know, he's, right. He... But I think the fact that they are making that comparison, they do want the audience to at least question, like, are you closer to William's side or are you closer to the side of good? I think that that is something the audience is being asked throughout this. I'm not saying they did it poorly. I just think that if they wanted that last moment to sink in up, he truly doesn't know whether or not he meant to shoot his partner I think that that could have been yeah. given just a little bit of extra in the beginning. But this goes all the way back to the first one of the first things we talked about is that this mm-hmm. is a third person judging him rather than a yes. first person viewpoint. And we're with Hillary Swank when she says, "I know you didn't do it, even if you're not sure." Right, and that's that's if they're going with that point of the movie, then yes, I agree, yeah. it's done well. Second point I wanted to bring up: Why in the hell does Hillary Swank? focus on Al Pacino's character and not chasing down Robin Williams, who is definitely the killer here. <laughs> well, she's left alone with him. Um, but not obviously, very quickly, when they start getting shot at, she gives him his gun back, and it's like, okay, there's a, a, yeah. an element of trust here um, mm-hmm. that, that he's sort of clawed back, because he's confessed. Yeah. It's, it obviously felt very genuine. Um, so I'm just saying, if I if I was in a room with two people 
and one of those people just bashed me over the head and dropped me off in a shed. I'm not going to hold my gun on the guy who might have committed a murder, possibly. He, at the moment, you know, I mean, I think it's because she cares more about him because she feels possibly betrayed by him. Like, this is a bigger mm. deal to her personally if he actually did this. Um, yeah. But, like I say, I love the idea that throughout the movie he's given her good advice and is effectively, you know, given her training yeah. to either, if not catch him directly, then to be as good as him. And ultimately, mm. like, you know, you could even look at it as some sort of passing of a torch by the end of the movie if you really want to. Oh, yeah. For sure, uh, it absolutely is. So, yeah, no, I think it's I think it's very good. I I think like it. I think it does all of its character stuff really well. I really get into the redemption story of of the character. I get into how the other characters represent and like are important to different parts of his story. Um, mm-hmm. and I think all that stuff's great, and it looks and sounds great. I like the music. Um, the yeah. performances from the two leads are great. I think where where maybe some people like aren't as into it is because. Either they expect more of an actual mystery because they're expecting like a Seven or a you know a Fincher type killer movie, yeah. and it's not mm-hmm. that. Uh, or of course, as the key thing that you know you've been bringing up a lot is like expecting more of a Christopher Nolan twist to it, and mm-hmm. it's not that either. It's a it's a straightforward movie, but I think it's very good at what it actually does. Oh yeah, no, for what it's trying to be, it succeeds entirely. I don't think that that's ever been a problem the movie has. It is an issue of expectations going into it, which is why I think it is one of the more ignored Nolan films is because everybody post Batman Begins is going back to check out these movies knowing Nolan as he Uh, uh, is today. There's the thing, though. I think it probably benefited me that I saw this after Batman Begins and I probably saw Memento first before this Mm -hmm. one. And I think it probably helped that at that point, I saw three Nolan movies. This was the third. And Batman's not like a, you know, it's, it's more no. conventional by its nature because it's a superhero movie. So yeah. Memento was the only one with the Nolan twist, per se. Obviously, he'd done Falling, but I didn't see Following until way later. I got the Criterion yeah. Blu-ray of that before I saw that much, much right. later. So I think it, at some level, it probably helped. I didn't necessarily have a Nolan expectation other than just quality at that point because I hadn't, yeah. you know, like whereas you'd already seen Prestige, the time i've I've seen prestige i've seen inception at least a dozen times i've seen tenet not before this though well remember i don't remember anything from this the first time i watched it. okay so this is all fresh okay yeah yeah yeah. this is pretty much new going into it so you've seen interstellar you've seen yeah exactly yeah yeah, okay so yeah there's probably a lot more weight on this whereas following is different and that it's much smaller but you can actually see Mm -hmm. a lot of who nolan is going to be in that movie Exactly. Um, whereas this is him playing more conventional studio ball, but it's very good at... Because con- like, conventional isn't necessarily bad if it's well done, if it's well told, and it's well written, and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is definitely the more conventional film in his filmography. Um, we, and the Batman films are as well to a point, but they obviously have other things that are... They obviously have Batman. But they're also very like- layered films. He, you know, like, oh, yeah. me and Carl don't review movies together anymore, but if you go back and listen to our, you know, our 40 discussion on The Dark Knight, like, we, we were talking about themes and what Batman stands for mm-hmm. as a character and how the Joker, uh, you know, stands against that. And, the, you know, it was a great discussion of, like, you know, it was like what we do when we're talking about a Criterion movie. We had that type of conversation right. about The Dark Knight because it's that goddamn good. It is. So, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, like, yeah. And I think, 
yeah, there's a lot to love in this movie. Um, and I, I find myself sticking up for it a little bit, I think, because I do think people just kind of overlook it and sort of disregard it as mm-hmm. the one you can skip. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it's really good. It's just, it's just not like the rest of his movies. So people just kind of look at it differently because of that. Yeah. No, I agree. So, uh, well, I guess it's time to, to rate the movie. To rate yeah. Um, All right. <sighs> I mean, I have been I've been sitting on this for a while. I've been trying to figure this out on where exactly it's going to come down on, but mm. I think I think looking not only at the other Nolan films, how I've rated those, but also just other films in general, I'm going to give this one a solid eight. Mm. I think that this is it's good. It's a great movie. It is up there in the echelon, but it isn't. It's just maybe it is a thing of expectations. Maybe that's because I I can't truly divorce myself from that. If I'm being honest, I can't. I can say the quality of the movie is great. I can say that the story is well paced. All of it is beautiful looking and sounding. But there was just this low level expectation of I wanted just a little bit more from it. And I was just kind of having that in the back of my mind the entire time I was watching it. But it is still on all technical levels and all emotional levels a fine movie. So eight for that. Yeah, I'm giving it an eight as well. But an eight's always what all I've right. given this. Uh, and I've never really wavered from it. Um so despite the debating we had uh throughout <laughs> that, we're actually landed on the same score. I th- I think it's great. Um and I think that's yeah. what an eight out of ten means. Um obviously it's not as special as some of Nolan's other films, but it's doing everything it does so well and i do find it a very enjoyable watch and i've seen it a good number of times now over the last you know 20 years give or take that yeah yeah, it holds up and when you watch it again and you're you know you're paying attention to the little details when you know what the full character journey is going to be you kind of you know you you get a little bit more out of it and you you can appreciate Mm -hmm. it so yeah it's good i mean I don't think we're really going to fight that much on whether or not it makes the cut. I think we're probably in the same standing on that. It makes the cut. Yeah. It makes the cut. Just pretty solid. Not cut above, not cutting it close. Just makes the cut. Yeah. Uh, It's well worth watching. Um, Just, you know, have those expectations reined in a little bit if you're getting into it thinking, oh, I want Inception and Interstellar and Tenet and all these other things. So this is before he was given a blank check to do literally anything he wants. Yeah. It is funny because obviously it's bigger than Memento and that he's got bigger stars. It's clearly more studio backed than Memento was. Um, mm. Even the fact that there's a shot of a plane flying over a landscape at the start, it's like he couldn't have done that in Memento. Memento was all, no. you know, shoot, it was shooting in motels and like a small bar set and a whatever. I did want to point out um, weird credit that I didn't expect. Uh-huh. Executive produced by George Clooney. Oh, yeah, I, I saw that as well. It's kind of funny that they've never worked together at all again, yeah. because you'd feel like that would maybe lead to something, but no, nah, it never yeah. did. At least as as of now, they've never worked together. Because uh, Bernolan hopped on Batman, and George Clooney's like, I'm sorry, I refuse to go anywhere near that franchise again. <laughs> that sullied my reputation. I have to, <laughs> I have to stay clear. Um, actually, minor little thing is that the pilot of the play at the start, I was convinced was Alan Tudyk for like a second. Okay. And then I looked it up and it wasn't him. It was just because you see it at the back of his head and he turns around for a second. I was like, is this Alan Tudyk before he got any big roles? And it wasn't. It's some other dude. Yeah, it's some guy who only ever starred in this. So. Yeah. But he looked a little like Alan Tudyk. At least when you only get a glance. I'm sure if I saw his face properly, I wouldn't think that. But I mean, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I don't think I really looked at his face at all. So Yeah. Uh, so no, that's Insomnia. So we got two more Nolan films left. 
Uh, we've got The Prestige up next. Um, obviously, as we mentioned before, skipping over Batman because I've done them all with Connor already. Skipping over the yep. science fiction ones because we've done those on the ace. Um, I'll probably do a playlist on the movie channel, though, of all the, the Christopher Nolan reviews as its own separate mm-hmm. playlist. Um, yeah, makes sense. Uh, just because, yeah, they're probably all worth uh, looking at in, in various forms. But mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, we'll see you next week for for the prestige which i know uh david has been uh chomping at the bit to get to it's a it's a good movie yeah well i've I've watched that at least five times over the past decade okay well we'll get to it next week and we'll we'll dive in uh you can of course get bonus content and support the show by over at patreon.com slash tv and every month at the three dollar tier and up you get a bonus episode that will loosely tie into whatever the main show is doing um so yeah uh because we're doing prestige, prestige. next week yeah. uh the bonus movie ended up being the illusionist which was which is a movie that came out the same year about a magician uh mm-hmm. which i barely remember if i'm honest we've not recorded that one yet but yeah. you know, it may already be up though by the time this goes out um so we've got that um obviously every month as well we have a show at the five dollar tier and up called extra reels which is a so bad bottom of the barrel you know trash movie that might be great but may not always be great um and the one that is out this month was one of the most painful movie watching experiences that i think we've ever had so i'm still recovering man i'm not i'm not ever (laughs) going to be able to check into a motel again uh, and then of course we also have the monthly show uh, Collectors Cut the Collection which is a Criterion show where I mentioned earlier we did 12 Angry Men for this month so mm-hmm. uh, we do a movie on that every month that's not a Patreon only show but you do get it early like the main show on there uh, and then of course check out Screams After Midnight the horror movie show that I do with Tim and the Atomic Cinema Experiment that I do with Tara which is a sci- science fiction movie show there's tons of stuff, there's tons of movies being talked about all the time so uh, big back catalogue of all these things which I, if you started watching all the shows now, you might wrap up some point in 2027. <laughs> Which, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, we always recommend the newest bonus episode, but we're at, I think it must be about, about 10 or something now. Yeah. Total. Give or take. Yeah. There's like 50 Ace bonus episodes. There's like 40 Screams After Midnight bonus episodes. You know, the, the back catalog of bonus content is, uh, is piling up. So yep. go check it out if you want to and support the show. You can also support us for free by liking, subscribing, commenting below, sharing us on Twitter, all that good stuff. But anything is appreciated. So thank you once again. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies, guys. And Ms. David, you're about as mysterious to me as a fucking block toilet is to a plumber. Thank you.